Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. At the recommendation of Michigan Civic Leader Harold Besnos, we have with us today Professor Samuel J. Levine of the Professor of Law and Director of the Jewish Law Institute. A little bit about his background. He is an LLM degree, Columbia, 1996, highest honors, rabbinical ordination, Yeshiva University in 96, JD, Fordham University, cum laude, in 94, and Bachelor of Arts, Yeshiva University, 1990, cum laude. Professor Samuel Levine joined the Turo Law Center faculty in 2010 as professor of law and director of the Jewish Law Institute. He previously served as professor of law at Pepperdine University School of Law. He has published more than 50 law review articles and has lectured throughout the U.S. on the subjects of Jewish law, legal ethics, criminal law, law and religion, and constitutional law. Our guest today, Professor Samuel J. Levine. Uh, First, let's talk about something I spoke with Congressman Pete Hoekstra last week on this radio program, and that's this problem of anti-Semitism on the college and university campuses. How big a problem is this? Well, thanks for asking, and uh, thank you for having me on your show. Um, It's a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, And unfortunately, that topic uh, is not a pleasant topic uh, to talk about, but one that has to be addressed. Um, I've spoken at a number of campuses across the country, and students at um, many colleges do feel as if they are stigmatized for their support of the state of Israel. And uh, in their view, it's not uncommon for the anti-Israeli sentiment to really cross over into more uh, anti-Semitic sentiment. And um, that's a problem that we never thought we'd have to encounter here you know, in, in 2016, but in the United States, but it does seem to be a problem. And what can we do about this, Professor Samuel Levine? Well, that's that's the uh, the big question that I think a lot of people have been trying to figure out. Uh, my role in this has really been to try to emphasize, rather than engaging some of the uh, arguments and protests, and as I mentioned, many of these uh, protests really go well beyond any substantive reasoned argument into areas of demonizing and uh, you know, rank anti-Semitism. I've really tried to emphasize some of the positive. I've really tried to talk about Jewish law, Judaism, to some extent Israel, and some of the positive and many positive aspects that have grown out of the Jewish legal tradition, out of the Jewish religion, and the state of Israel, and how so much positive and good has come out that's been applied in the context of the United States. 
Let's talk a little bit about our legal system and and how it is based on uh, historic uh, Jewish and Christian roots. How did that come about? Well, that's an interesting question that I, I sometimes defer to historians on a direct link, such as there is between Jewish and Judeo-Christian roots to the American legal system, but it's clear that the text of the Torah and the Jewish legal tradition has formed as a basis for much of Western civilization, for much of Western legal systems. Um, what I focus on in a number of my articles that you had mentioned in your kind introduction and in the lectures I've given across the country are many of the comparisons and both substantive and conceptual comparisons between the concept of the Torah as kind of a constitution for the Jewish legal system and the interpretations of the text of the Torah through the Talmud, through Maimonides, through some of the landmark um, scholars throughout the Jewish legal history. And we see a lot of parallels to the American legal system, where we have the Constitution as the foundational text. It's the law of the land. It's the supreme law. But we have to interpret the Constitution. And you look at the Constitution as a document that's authoritative, but when you look at the text of the Constitution itself, there's a lot of gaps. There's a lot of information that's not spelled out directly, and that's where the courts come in, and that's where we've had hundreds of years of constitutional interpretation and application. Now, in the Jewish legal system, we're talking about thousands of years of legal interpretation and application and the development of the law and the evolution of the law. And I've tried to see ways in which we can compare those two systems so that we can have some insights into the workings of the American legal system and American legal interpretation. Let's talk a little bit about the Talmud and how this is a basis of much of our uh, legal beliefs. Well, um, if you look at the text of the Torah, so just to give an example, you know, there's the teachings that are spread throughout different parts of the text regarding the Sabbath. And the prohibition, as it's termed in the original Hebrew, not to do, not to engage in melacha, which we translate as work, as kind of the contemporary and the vernacular translation, not to work on the Sabbath, but it's really a technical term and really a legal term. And how do we define work? It doesn't necessarily mean, although it includes not going to work, you know, per se, as you would on an ordinary day, but it also includes a number of activities, actually a wide range of activities that are seen as not consistent with the more con contemplation and the prayerful nature of the Sabbath. So the Talmud, compiles the interpretations, the applications, the analysis, the discussions back and forth between scholars over hundreds, if not thousands of years, trying to come up with a more precise definition of a broadly stated term. And we see this throughout the American legal history. We see concepts in the text of the Constitution. First Amendment talks about free exercise of religion. Well, what does that mean? It clearly does not include the right to exercise your religion in a way that would be damaging, harmful to other people. It clearly doesn't include, I mean, sort of an easy case. If someone claimed that their religion 
permits or requires them to commit murder against someone else. We would never recognize that as constitutionally protected free exercise of religion. Well, the questions arise, where do you draw the line? What types of activities far short of harming someone else, but what types of activities should qualify for free exercise of protections and which type of activities should not? And that's where courts and legal scholars have to look at the different categories and the different types of activities and say, well, this falls on one side of the line, it's prohibited, even under, let's say, free exercise, and other types of activities do deserve and demand free exercise protection. I'd like to mention that our guest today, Professor Samuel J. Levine, will be speaking at two different uh, speeches in Michigan, Thursday, June 23rd, at the Berman Center for the Performing Arts at the Jewish Community Center of Metropolitan Detroit, 6600 West Maple Road, West Bloomfield Township, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. And on June 23, excuse me, June 29th at the Castle Boardroom, Michigan State University College of Law, 648 North Shaw, East Lansing, Michigan, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. And I'm sure the public is welcome at these um, lectures. And the topic is hosted by the Besnos family, From Talmud to Constitution, the Comparative Evolution of Legal Systems. Our guest today, Professor of Law and Director of the Jewish Law Institute, Samuel J. Levine. If you're listening in Islip, New York, Buffalo, Toronto, or Detroit, Michigan, drop us a note, as we always like to hear from our Canadian, U.S., and European listeners. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. I'd like to thank those who have called regarding our recent guests, Congressman Pete Hoekstra, Dr. Laszlo Meckler regarding medical marijuana, and Mark Schlussel. Coming up on this program, we're going to have Ray Ammerman, an executive with West Her, on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM. 1520. A little bit more information about our guest, Professor Samuel J. Levine. He received a JD from Fordham Law School, graduating cum laude and Order of the Kulf, and LLM from Columbia Law School, graduating with the highest honors as James Kent Scholar, and rabbinical ordination from Yeshiva University. He has served as an appellate prosecutor in the Kings County District Attorney's Office as a law clerk to U.S. District Judges Loretta Preska and David N. Edelstein in the Southern District of New York, and as an adjunct professor at Fordham Law School. Our guest today, Professor of Law Samuel J. Levine. Let's talk a little bit about your speeches on June 23rd and 29th in Michigan, From Talmud to Constitution, the Comparative evolution of legal systems. What will that be all about? Well, thank you for mentioning the speeches. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I appreciate, I haven't met Harold Business in person, but I appreciate um, Mr. Business and his family sponsoring uh, the lectures. It's really an opportunity for me. I've been to Detroit on a couple of occasions before, but I haven't had the opportunity to really meet with the community um, both within the Detroit suburbs and in, at the University, Michigan State University. 
And it's really going to be a chance for me to share a lot of these thoughts um, with the general public. And I'm always interested to look beyond the academy. You know, sometimes they talk about us law professors living in an ivory tower. And, of course, I practice law. As you mentioned, I clerked for federal judges. Um, And I think it's very important to kind of bridge that theory-practice divide and to see ways that the law operates in fact. Um, And in terms of Jewish law and American law, just another example I think brings this out is the famous case of Miranda versus Arizona, right? The landmark case, which, as the name suggests, established the Miranda warnings that we're all familiar with, you know, hopefully from TV, where the police have to warn the suspect after their arrest that they have the right to remain silent and a few other uh, provisions. Well, that right to remain silent is not stated in the text of the Constitution, but it's considered to be based on the Fifth Amendment, which does, in fact, protect against self-incrimination within the American legal system. Well, it turns out when Miranda was decided, the United States Supreme Court, in the majority opinion, cited Jewish law. And it cited Talmudic principles, and it cited the medieval scholar Maimonides, who both explained that within the Jewish legal system, there is no concept of self-incrimination. In the Jewish legal system, under Talmudic law, under biblical texts, a confession is not admissible as evidence. Now, I think that's an important point to bring out when we compare and contrast American law and Jewish law, because I would never suggest that the American legal system should adopt per se should adopt outright any religious position necessarily, let alone a Jewish law position. And I wouldn't suggest, I worked as a prosecutor, I can't see the American legal system, and I wouldn't advocate for this, the American law to exclude confessions in criminal cases. Confessions can be very powerful evidence, and confessions are often crucial tools for the purpose of prosecuting criminals. On the other hand, Maybe we can draw some lessons for the concept that confessions can be wrong, that contrary to what we sometimes think, maybe Jewish law can offer us some insights into the idea that we have to be careful with accepting a confession. And there are cases that are coming out, you almost hear every day, cases in the newspaper, where you have situations where an individual confessed to a crime, and whether it was some form of outright interrogation that was just unfair to the individual, or there was something else going on, some ulterior motive that someone had. They were taking the fall for someone else. They felt threatened by someone. They just thought they had to get off their chest, even though they didn't do it. That does happen in real life. And I think that's one of the lessons we have to be careful when we try to draw these analogies between religious legal systems and the American legal system on the one hand. But again, on the other hand, the Supreme Court and Miranda, but it was worthwhile to look back thousands of years to Talmudic discussions and to see what does Jewish law have to say about some of these concepts. Let's talk a little bit about another law that's very controversial, and a lot of people are upset of people who observe Sharia law, that they put that above our Constitution and our way of life in the United States. How do you view that law, Sharia law, versus 
the law that we've been talking about in uh, Jewish law and also uh, United States law? Well, you know, I'm really not an expert on Sharia law. Um, from what I understand, I can see a place for religious law within the American legal system if it's limited to forms of binding arbitration between the parties. And I think here, too, we have to be careful. It's one thing if on the sort of private level one's engaged in business, and they agree, both sides agree, that they want their business, their private business dealings, to be governed by their own personal religious principles. Well, that's between them. If they put that in the contract, if they have an agreement that they're going to bring their disputes to a religious tribunal, not in the sense, and we have to be careful, not in the sense that they're in any way giving the religious tribunal authority of the American legal system, because, of course, the American legal system has our own court system. But if they decide as a form of arbitration, private arbitration between the parties, that they're accepting a tribunal or they're accepting some arbitrator that they happen to both agree on, that's their business as long as it doesn't violate American public policy. And that can be a contentious issue sometimes. I know that within the Jewish communities in the United States, there are cases where individuals, because they're faithful to the religious traditions, they do form agreements such that to the extent that they have a dispute about a commercial issue, a business issue, it's up to them to bring that dispute if they'd like to before an arbitration panel that's going to decide the issue in part or primarily upon principles of Jewish law. But they have to be careful that they don't in any way violate constitutional principles, that they don't violate public policy principles, and that those decisions don't take away from the ultimate authority of the American court system. For those who just tuned in, to the Rusk Report. Our guest today is Professor of Law and Director of the Jewish Law Institute, Samuel J. Levine, and he is a guest speaker with the Besnos Family Lecture, and it's from Talmud to Constitution, the Comparative Evolution of Legal Systems. For our Michigan listeners, it will be Thursday, June 23rd, at the Bourbon Center for the Performing Arts, Jewish Community Center of Metropolitan Detroit. And on the 29th of June, the Castle Boardroom, Michigan State University College of Law. If you're listening in Michigan, Buffalo, or Montreal, drop us in it. We'd like to hear from you. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN AM 1520, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. A little bit more information about Professor Samuel Levine, our guest today. He has also taught at St. John's University School of Law and Barlan University Law School. He has appeared before a number of courts, including the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit and the Supreme Court of the State of New York. Our guest today, Professor Samuel J. Levine. Harold Besno says that our legal system keeps the United States together like glue. Uh, would you agree with that? That's a uh, proper description. 
Um, I think that's an apt description, yeah. I think that's a, a very effective way of putting it. And, you know, um, the wisdom of the Constitution hundreds of years later to put together this document that's going to be our foundational document in so many ways, the supreme law of the land, and we're still applying that same document hundreds of years later. And again, to make the analogy, the Jewish legal system is based on a document, right, the five books of Moses, the text of the written Torah, that for thousands of years continues to this day to serve as the basis, and likewise really to be the glue that, you know, continues to um, guide the Jewish religion. Let's talk about how our U.S. legal system resolves disputes as compared to other uh, systems of law. Well, we have an adversarial system, and we have a strong belief in an adversarial system, for better or for worse. And I guess, you know, there's a famous quotation from Winston Churchill that um, democracy isn't all that great, except it's better than anything else we've ever come up with. And I think the adversarial system might be kind of similar. It has its problems. You know, lawyers don't always do what they're supposed to do. Lawyers are actually supposed to advocate on behalf of their clients in a way that they don't always necessarily believe to be, I don't want to say it's not truthful, but they spin things. They are supposed to characterize both the facts and the law in the way that's most favorable to their client's interests. And on some level, maybe that's not the best case scenario. But again, quoting Winston Churchill, or paraphrasing Winston Churchill, it might be the best system we can think of. It's the worst system with the exception of anything else that we've come up with because there is no perfect way to resolve disputes. Now, it's been said that every time there's a lawsuit, that means by definition there's been a breakdown in our system. The fact that people are fighting, the fact that there was a crime committed, there's already been something that happened that's negative, that's detrimental, and we're doing our best to resolve the issues. We're not going to solve the problem through the law, but the adversarial system does a pretty good job. And, you know, if we can come up with a better system, by all means, but as far as we can figure so far as an American people, I think we do a pretty good job resolving our disputes through a fair administration of justice. Let's talk about the foundation of our legal systems in the United States and how it came about and why this is such a good system of law in the U.S. Well, each side feels that they're entitled you know, to put their best foot forward. And the downside and potential danger of other forms of law, and certainly, unfortunately, you know, much of the world still has to catch up just in terms of having a lawful society. But if you think, for example, of some alternatives, as it turns out, the Jewish legal system traditionally had the judges play a much more active role. The judges were typically the ones who would question the witnesses, who would call the witnesses, who would engage in investigations, who would even cross-examine the witnesses. And to some degree, the Jewish legal system had its concerns about lawyers. There are Talmudic discussions that seem to be concerned, that seem to think, well, if a lawyer is going to try to spin 
the truth in favor of their client, maybe that's not all that truthful. Maybe that's not the best way of achieving justice. And that type of approach places a lot of faith in judges. It's kind of taking lawyers out of the picture with the understanding and the expectation that the judges can arrive at truth if they can speak directly to the litigants, if they can be the ones who are directly involved in the process. In the American legal system, the judges play a much more passive role. The judges listen to what's going on in court. The judges will listen to objections. The judges will make decisions regarding evidence. But it's up to the lawyers to put forward the arguments. It's up to the lawyers to question the witnesses and bring the evidence before a jury. It's up to the jury to make the determination of the facts. If you've served in a jury, you may recall judges will say to the jury, you are the judge of the facts. You're the ones who are going to decide. And ultimately, it is the jury that decides whether a defendant in a criminal case is guilty or not guilty. That's putting a lot of power in the hands of lay people, the public who aren't trained in the law. And there's a plus and there's a minus to that. And the American people, the American legal system is premised on the idea that we're overly concerned, I think, that we don't want to put too much power in the hands of any one individual or group of individuals. And rather than have the judge in charge of everything, well, the judge has their role as judge of the law. The jury has their role as judge of the facts. And the lawyers have that crucial role of representing the litigants. And again, without choosing one approach versus the other, there's a lot behind that and a lot of wisdom behind the American legal system. We have a lot of legal disputes in the United States. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the beauty of our system to resolve disputes. Um, Why is it so positive? Well, I think it's important for the public to have faith in the system. And I think one of the successes of the American legal system is for each litigant to feel like they got their day in court. You know, if you didn't have a lawyer representing you and making those zealous arguments, being an advocate for your position, if it was all up to the judges, you might feel like this judge was against you. You might feel that this judge, for whatever reason, favored the other side. Uh And, you know, going back to Talmudic principles and going back to the biblical text, There are warnings over and over to judges. There are admonitions to judges that they have to make sure not to favor one side over the other. There can be a tendency among judges to think they may look at one of the litigants and consciously or subconsciously, for some reason, take a liking to one side versus the other. And the biblical text recognizes this already. It says, don't favor the rich in a court case. Don't favor the poor in a court case. Everyone gets their fair day in court. I'm sorry we have to bring the Rusk Report to a close. We've learned so much from Professor Samuel J. Levine, Professor of Law and Director of the Jewish Law Institute. Again, he's going to be speaking in Michigan June 23rd at the Berman Center for the Performing Arts at 5.30 p.m. And then June 29th at the Castle Boardroom. Michigan State University College of Law in East Lansing. Thank you for teaching us so much about our system of law and the roots of this law. 
our guest today. Thank you for having me. It was Samuel a real pleasure. Samuel J. Levine. And thank you to Kevin Carr, Director of Production, and Harold Besnos of Michigan for recommending the program. Having a great week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.